This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, September 30th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, masks maintain. Dan Caton steps in as Med Center Interim Director. County reviews behavioral health spending and a mountain weather forecast. Masks are here to stay at least for now. The requirement applies to business employees and members of the public who are visiting public indoor places. And this includes all individuals two years of age um, and older, regardless of vaccination status. So whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, masks are required in indoor public places um, at all times. That's Lindsay Mills, public information consultant for San Miguel County, speaking on Codo on Thursday. The mask mandate was extended. Um, it was set to expire this evening, but has been renewed and extended through November 1st at 11.59 p.m. with the option to lift this mask requirement indoors in public spaces if metrics improve. Mills notes those metrics include incident and positivity rate, which remain elevated but not severe, and hospital capacity, which is currently strained across the region. We have four new hospitalizations. Two currently remain in the hospital, um, one for over 20 days. Um, Regional hospital capacity continues to be heavily strained. That includes our Montrose Hospital and our Grand Junction Hospital. Um, And this is a result greatly of COVID beds um, taking up ICU space. And that has resulted in some folks that are going in for non-COVID related injuries or health issues or complications. Um, potentially being rerouted um, or directed to another hospital in the area. And while public health could repeal the mask mandate before the end of October, Mills notes we are heading into colder months where COVID spreads more rapidly. We saw how transmission increased as we moved into colder months, even as tourism season concluded. So when we saw, uh, you know, the gondola close is about when we started seeing an increase in cases as people moved inside, they started traveling, they started gathering. She adds mask requirements are a key tool for keeping students students with in-person learning, which she says is one of the county's highest priorities. We know that this is frustrating, that this is now our third school year that's affected by the COVID pandemic, and we're back into masks despite vaccines being very effective at preventing severe disease and death. Um, But this is the lesser of many mitigation potential, um, especially when the state is looking at us and looking at our metrics on a regular basis. So this is this is a small thing we can do to head into the colder months with maybe a better place than we were last year. The county has heard a call from some residents to bifurcate the county with a mask requirement on the east end and a strong recommendation on the west end. But Mills says previous experience with Level Orange and Orange Extreme doesn't support the split. We saw a bifurcation occur last winter um, and saw the results of that. And it leveled out to bringing the county all to the same spot again. Um, So you know, as we're looking at all of the data and all of the metrics, including vaccination rate of East End versus West End, we're seeing much more severe disease in the West End, um, which is highly concerning. So with a high vaccination rate of the East End, while we're seeing breakthrough cases, we're not seeing a severe level of disease for the most part. Um, so the, the splitting of regulation is not in conversation at this time. 
San Miguel County's indoor mask mandate will run through November 1st, with the possibility of repealing early or extending longer. There's new leadership at the Telluride Regional Medical Center. In September, Dan Caton stepped in as interim director and board liaison after former CEO Karen Winkleman stepped down to pursue other opportunities in the medical field, according to Caton. The board of directors of the Telluride Hospital District, uh, which is the board for the Telluride Regional Medical Center, um, asked me to step in on in an interim basis while they conducted a new CEO search. He says the board has developed a search committee and hired a firm to assist with the hiring process for a new CEO, but he acknowledges hiring for a small rural medical center won't necessarily be an easy task. The board, uh, knowing that uh, getting a highly qualified and experienced director uh, or CEO for a medical center um, is going to be quite difficult. So they're hoping to get the uh, person in place within three to four months, but they understand that to get the right person, it may take uh, six or even more months. So in the meantime, Caton will be leading the ship, despite the fact that he's not well-versed in the medical field. I've been very clear with the, um, with the board that I have no experience um, overseeing a medical facility. But I have had an extensive experience with running organizations, conducting meetings, making sure communication is clear and collaborative, um, making sure that um, finances are being um, conducted in the appropriate manner, that all legal matters are being addressed. He adds in the case of medical care, the CEO shouldn't be leading the charge anyway. When it comes to the actual clinical operation, the providers, the doctors and the nurses, um, those are the people who have to be in charge of the medical care and always are, even when a full-time, long-term CEO is in place. And believe me, I've come to learn uh, from the inside that this is an incredibly talented um, team of providers uh, most of them have been there for a long time, though there is new blood that has brought in new information and new practices. And so it's a very exciting time uh, for the center because that group of clinicians is just uh, so talented and such an asset to the community. Moving forward, Caton says he doesn't intend to throw his name in the ring for the CEO position, but will help shepherd the facility for the next several months. Obviously, the most important thing is to make sure that the medical center is running efficiently from a financial standpoint um, and uh, from a facilities and uh, IT standpoint. Those are things that we don't want to burden our doctors and nurses with. We need to be sure that the phones are answered, that appointments are scheduled appropriately, and especially since we've seen the surge in COVID, we want to make sure that our respiratory uh, operations are supported completely. Uh, and so that's part of my role is to make sure that we're just clearing the way for our doctors and our nurses to provide the best care we possibly can. Caton is also excited about new medical equipment soon to be rolled out. We've had a CT machine in place for years and years. It's an older model and is not operating as well as we'd like it to. And so beginning in the off season, we'll have the delivery of an all new uh, CT machine uh, 
which will be a fabulous diagnostic tool uh, for our residents and our visitors. And that machine will be installed just before <laughs> the mountain opens up uh, the day before Thanksgiving. So it'll be ready for those people who, let's say, have not practiced their skiing recently. Of course, a large project for the Med Center is the Genesee Development at Society Turn, where the Med Center is projected to get a new facility, a critical access hospital. Caton says he's not directly involved in that project, which is being headed up by the board of directors. 2021 was a busy year for the San Miguel Behavioral Health Solutions Panel. Formed after voters approved increasing public spending on behavioral health in 2018, the panel manages that spending. One of the largest chunks of spending in the last year was allocating roughly $60,000 to the Good Neighbor Fund to help people with financial need access behavioral health services. So the funding for that went to individual and family therapists within organizations or in private practice. So those dollars go to the provider um, to help cover the costs of their uh, behavioral health service. That's San Miguel County Social Services Director Carol Friedrich briefing the Board of County Commissioners this week. The Good Neighbor Fund money helped about 45 people. Another large chunk of funding went to local behavioral health organizations. About $85,000 was split between the Center for Mental Health, Tri-County Health Network, the Uncompagre Medical Center, and the Telluride Regional Medical Center. And so those funds were used to um, help um, their clients that they were serving in their organizations um, that had a, a demonstrated financial need receive the services they couldn't otherwise afford. The panel also allocated about $60,000 to the county sheriff's office for their behavioral health co-responder program that sends professionals to respond to mental health crises. That is a real value-added service in San Miguel County and really is preventing a lot of our behavioral health folks from entering into the justice system, which is not the best place for them to receive services and supports for um, for what they're needing. They also granted $50,000 to the Telluride and Norwood school districts to expand their social and emotional curriculum. Telluride is on a, a like a one-year rotation um, and Norwood asked for three years to get their process into place. They, they felt like they needed to do a more gradual um, engagement with their staff of this new curriculum. Um, and so to date, 180 students um, from Norwood and 913 students from Telluride have benefited from that funding. There have been challenges in the last year for the panel, including difficulties hiring Spanish-speaking clinicians. They were able to provide funding to hire a behavioral health coordinator to help community members navigate the local behavioral health system, but that person couldn't stay because they couldn't find housing. Moving forward, Friedrich says a major goal for the panel is locking down housing options to help fill clinician positions. So we feel like we would make significant gains by being able to offer, um, you know, affordable housing, um, but so securing housing um, for folks. Other goals for 2022 include expanding opportunities for behavioral health trainings in Spanish, increasing local support programs for individuals recovering from mental health and substance use treatment, and developing plans to promote healthy community activities accessible to everyone. 
it's time to say good riddance to the television that doesn't work, the computer you no longer use, and the fax machine that honestly belongs in a museum. It's time for EcoAction Partners' Fall Electronics Recycling Event. Recyclable items include everything from cell phones, wires, batteries, TVs, projectors, printers, and copy machines, and microwaves. The Fall Electronics Waste Recycling Event will take place on Friday, October 15th and 16th in Telluride at the Carhenge parking lot from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Mountain Village at the Market Plaza parking lot on October 15th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and in Norwood on October 16th at the San Miguel County Fairgrounds from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For the first time ever, the Telluride Foundation is recognizing two organizations as its 2020 Citizens of the Year. The foundation is recognizing San Miguel County Search and Rescue and the Ure County Response, or OCGNF team, as heroes and angels who stepped up to support the community during the past year. The organizations are two of nine nominations for the award this year. According to the Telluride Foundation, SAR was recognized for its unusually busy year in 2020, providing support and compassion 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and its volunteers who put their own lives on the line to help others. The OCGNF team, comprised of Marty and Patrick O'Leary and Kat and Barthold Leichenbelt, are recognized for their years of volunteerism and stepping up to create a fund dedicated to helping their neighbors and community members during the pandemic. Both SAR and the OCGNF team will receive a commemorative plaque and a $5,000 grant to be given in their name to a local nonprofit. A celebration for San Miguel County Search and Rescue will take place on Saturday, October 2nd from 3 to 5 p.m. at Oak. A celebration for the OCGNF team will take place on Saturday, October 9th in Ridgeway Town Park. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenge and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we're heading just north to Montrose. Imagine turning 18 and finding yourself aged out of the foster care system. You don't have the resources to support yourself and now face homelessness. There's a program in Montrose aimed at helping youth in this situation. As KVNF's Laura Palmasano reports, the program provides affordable housing along with support and guidance. Yeah, I like that too. Once a week, the residents of First Place on 2nd Street in Montrose gather in the community room. They share a meal and catch up with each other and with staff from CASA of the 7th Judicial District. Today, one of the residents is making lunch for the group. Um, it's just going to be just a nice blush vodka sauce with bucatini pasta. CASA is an area nonprofit that serves children and families who've experienced abuse and neglect. The nonprofit owns First Place on 2nd Street. It's an eight unit housing complex for youth ages 18 to 24 who've aged out of the foster care system or are at risk for becoming homeless. Carlton Mason is the executive director of CASA. If a young person turns 18 and they don't have family support, there are not many options. Mason says the complex can house up to 12 young adults at a time. 
And I'll be honest with you, the, when a young person moves in, the first, often the first 10 to 12 months is very chaotic. It's young people struggling with adulting. But over time, that transitions to where these young people begin to look for jobs and begin to think about the future. He says CASA provides more than just housing for residents of first place. They're also there to help navigate life challenges, such as getting a driver's license, a degree, or a job. We also have expanded into providing mental health services. We have two therapists on staff. Rent at first place is covered by state housing vouchers. Unless a resident works, then 30% of their income goes towards rent. 18-year-old Keegan McCorkle lived in foster care most of his life. He graduated from high school in January and moved into the micro-housing community in March. He says it provides him with an affordable place to live. It's really hard to find anywhere to live that's cheap, especially on minimum wage. For single rooms here in Montrose, it was around maybe 300 to $500 a month just for a room. For apartments, it was 950 up, and here I pay 371 for a whole apartment. McCorkle says living at Casa's facility also feels safe. And here you feel comfortable. It's like a kind of small sense of community. We're all around the same age. It's just easier to get along. First Place on 2nd Street opened in 2018. A mixture of state and local funding paid for it. The Colorado Division of Housing, or DOH, awarded CASA $500,000 toward the project. It was the first such housing project for youth ages 18 to 24, aging out of foster care or facing homelessness in the state. Zach Schaefner is a supportive housing services manager with DOH. So we've learned a great deal from First Place on 2nd Street. The focus on elements like harm reduction and trauma-informed care and really providing those low barriers and flexible supports. We've really seen the success of that intervention and that approach at First Place on 2nd Street. Schaefner says DOH also learned important design elements for future developments. First Place on 2nd Street is a mix of four one-bedroom units and four two-bedroom units. He says the two-bedroom units were intended for siblings or young couples with a child, but there was a greater need for single individuals. Really, to the extent possible, we look for single and one-bedroom units. We've seen that that can be effective, that can reduce some of those interpersonal conflicts that can occur with roommate situations. When we're working with a population that has some complex histories of trauma and he says supportive housing, like First Place on 2nd Street, is an effective way to serve the needs of young adults experiencing homelessness or exiting the foster care system. The Colorado Division of Housing has funded similar projects in Boulder, Broomfield, Delta, and Grand Junction. And Schaefner says DOH is working to bring more supportive housing to the state. The project in Delta is the latest effort from CASA. It's under construction now and scheduled to open in December. It will house six youth and one-bedroom suites. Carlton Mason says CASA is expanding because there's a need. The cost of living is just too high for a young person to kind of transition from nothing to all of a sudden having the income to sustain a place to live. On average, more than 200 young people age out of the foster care system every year in Colorado. National data shows about 20% of these youth find themselves homeless when they turn 18. Mason says CASA can't house every young adult seeking its services. It just doesn't have the resources. But the difference they make is one small part of solving the affordable housing crisis. Reporting from Montrose, I'm Laura Palmisano. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Friday expects showers and thunderstorms with a high near 50 degrees during the day and a low around 40 degrees at night. 
Saturday, there is a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies and a high in the mid-50s. Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, September 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention parents with young children. Would you like to help your child learn skills like problem solving, how to make a friend, and how to identify emotions? Bright Futures is partnering with Wilkinson Public Library and Telluride R1 School District to bring you a free in-person parenting workshop all about the pyramid model. Hi, this is Madeline with Bright Futures. The Pyramid Model Parenting Workshop will take place on Wednesday, October 6th from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. at Wilkinson Public Library. Food and child care will be provided. No registration is necessary and simultaneous Spanish translation will be available. For questions, please email me, madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org. We look forward to seeing you at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.